Welcome to another edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com. John Schmelk, Paul Dottino with you. The phone number is 201-939-4513. Hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. If you want to get in touch with us that way, you can. We'll have Art Stapleton joining us in just a moment as we get ready for mandatory minicamp, which begins on Tuesday here at the Quest Diagnostics Training Center. Just a reminder, folks, our shows this week on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday will begin at 1.30 to accommodate practice time and media availability. So make sure you tune in then. Of course, the shows will be posted in an archive form and get put up on your favorite podcast platform as well. Paul, how was your weekend? Uh, doing all right, John. By the way, those shows are mandatory, just like minicamp is. Yes, and just you a, must tune in. And just a reminder, by the way, that <laughs> ma- that the rules for mandatory minicamp are the same as OTAs, except it's mandatory. Given that the Giants' attendance in OTAs has been spectacular and really a couple guys have missed one or two days here or there, but nothing that's been consistent, which is nice. Um, there's really got to give much of a change. It's basically a continuation of OTAs given the attendance. So, otherwise, the rules in terms of contact, things like that, everything's identical. The only thing that you may see, and I've had a few people get me up on the Twitter, that uh, not all the Giants draft choices have actually signed their deals yet for the season. Now, what happens at the mandatory minicamp is if the player is going to participate, he has to sign an injury waiver because uh, you then have issues with the whole legalities of that situation. And the Giants would hurt. and the Giants would take care of those guys, right. obviously, right. if an injury did happen but, anyway. But so. the agents usually get very right. sticky with those kinds of yes. things. So if if you see tweets from the writers coming out, oh, so-and-so's not practicing, mandatory minicamp, so-and-so's not practicing, chances are it's because he's a rookie who hasn't signed his injury waiver and the agent's being a little bit of a stickler about it, it's not a big deal because all these rookies are slotted anyway. I mean, the truth of the matter is the only negotiation that's going to take place between the team and any of these folks now is how much money is guaranteed, how much money is going to be in there for incentives, et cetera, et How et much cetera, can be deferred if he signs another team? Exactly, like that. because right. the total packages, everybody pretty much knows what everybody's going to get. All right, let's get to our guests. It's Art Stapleton. He covers the Giants for the record, NorthJersey.com, USA Today as well. It's all presented by Coors Light. Art, you got Schmelk and Dettino. How are you, pal? Hello. What's up, guys? Uh, hey, guys. I'm just uh, marveling at that impression. I don't know if that sounded like me, Dettino, but uh, <laughs> all the writers saying, such and such isn't practicing. Uh, I think it's only the three first-rounders, right? Everybody else is under is under contract. I, yeah. I, I would expect I would expect all those guys. Yeah, but look, every time but, uh, Daniel Jones blows his nose, you guys got to tweet it out, so you know the deal. I mean, come on, Mark. Let's, oh, let's course, be real about it. Of course, it. and it's mandatory. I mean, uh, you know, and I, I, I wrote this last week, just the idea of it's not about necessarily taking attendance from me. It's about kind of trying to keep track of everything that's going on, and if a guy's not practicing, you want to make sure that it's not injury-related, and when that's cleared up mm-hmm. by the coach, then – you know, you kind of move on and monitor and see yep. where it's at. But uh, I agree it with be that. Interesting. The other, the other aspect of it, Schmelk, I heard you laying out the uh, the differences between OTAs and minicamp. Uh, Pat Shermer told me last week that it's also extra meeting time in mm, minicamp yep. because people don't realize that. I think he said it was like a six-hour day for OTAs versus an eight-hour day for the minicamp, so you could actually get more meeting time in with the players. Uh, in there, both both as a group and then positionally. So uh, that's something else that over the next three days that the the coaches can appreciate uh, from that perspective. Absolutely. Unfortunately, we're not in those meeting rooms, Art. I think we'd all love to be to see how these guys are kind of coming along, learning the offense and defense. All we get to see is what's happening on the practice field. Uh, based on what you've seen in OTA so far, what are you going to be keeping close eye on during minicamp this week? 
Well, I should ask you. You've been putting out those uh, daily reports from all the OTAs that we're not there, and I think that's kind of what's lost in this whole thing is that they have four OTAs left, right, plus the three days of minicamp. Yep. So we've seen two of them. Obviously, you've seen all of them, um, I presume. Uh, but uh, to me, I think, you know, obviously you're going to watch the quarterbacks. Uh, you know, everybody wants to see Daniel Jones and throw grades up and, you know, who completed how many passes. To me, I think that's a little um, misleading and probably a little agenda-driven, but that's what people want to yep. find out about. Uh, you know, to me, the biggest competition that I would watch, and I, I wrote about it today, is at corner. I mean, especially watch the secondary. But I'm watching corner. You know, Sam Beal and Janoris Jenkins have been the first team predominantly in spring workouts. And then DeAndre Baker has kind of been that next-up guy on the outside. And then the slot competition between Grant Haley and Julian Love, I think, is big. Uh, and I think if you take a, a global view of where this defense is going, um, I think those four players and how they slot in this defense uh, is going to be very, very important, um, not just in 2019, but also moving forward. So that's kind of the competition that I enjoy watching the most. Uh, just because I know, you know, this is really all about the skill positions in the mini camp. You know, yeah. the big guys up front can't really, you know, show their wares until training camp and then even in preseason. So that's the spot that I love watching, and I think the Giants have a lot of young talent at the corner spot, uh, really more than they've had in quite some time. Well, and Art, since you gave me the opportunity for self-promotion, I'm going to take it. Uh, folks, my, <laughs> my, my, my report from last Friday's OTA is up there, and DeAndre Baker got a lot of work at first-team corner with Janoris Jenkins. So that'll be something to keep an eye on during minicamp this week, yep. too. You know, yeah, and, you know, and Sam Beal is definitely the the X factor. I mean, he came comes out of the spring, you know, starting the spring swinging, and everyone kind of assumed that it was going to be DeAndre Baker and, and Janoris Jenkins for good reason. And I think Sam Beal kind of showed, hey, don't forget about me. Yep. Uh, but it's also an adjustment to try to get used to the defense, too. So I think that's going to be something to watch. Uh, certainly Baker has all the talent in the world uh, to kind of be that guy opposite Jenkins. See, the thing about it, though, is there's no hitting, Art. You know, we're still watching helmets and shirts and shorts. And as John and I have discussed, even on the show last week, Beal's coming off a couple of shoulder issues from his days in college and then, of course, last year with the Giants. And so until he actually starts to hit, the durability of where he stands is something that we're not going to know. And it's a shame because, you know, I think there's no question he's going to challenge and he's in the competition to be the starting left corner on this team. But until he is involved in contact and we know how he can hold up, we really can't make a judgment as to whether or not he is moving ahead of the rest of the guys. Yeah, and I think that's fair. And, and also, you know, to be, to be fair, I mean, look, we're, we're here on June 3rd. And, you know, look, we all, we all get paid. This is fun. We all want to analyze where guys are. I mean, you still got a long time before they have to decide, you know, who's stepping out there as CB2 next to Janoris Jenkins. Presumably that's the way it stacks up. So Beal will have his opportunity to show if he can handle this physically. Uh, but I, I just think from a coverage standpoint, I think Beal just looked the part starting spring workouts that you can sure. almost see why the Giants would believe that it was worth giving up uh, that third-round pick for this year back last year in the supplemental draft. Yeah, I don't want to belabor the cornerback point, Art, but I'll, I'll go one more on this, and I think one 
position battle, I guess I'll call it, that a lot of people are maybe overlooking because it's not a quote-unquote starting spot, is the Julian Love-Grant Haley battle. And I think Grant Haley played pretty well second half of last year, and he's like, look, guys, I'm, I'm from a big program. I can play. This is my spot. But at the same time, coming into this draft, I thought Julian Love was a guy you can plug and play as a starting slot corner. So I think those two guys going at it in that spot is just as important with the way the current NFL is played now with three wide receivers on the field constantly as, a, as that outside corner spot. I think it's a great point, and I also think, you know, we talk assets. You know, Dave Gettleman and Team Brass, they've, they've sunk in draft assets into three of the four guys we've mentioned. Uh, Grant Haley is not one of those guys. I mean, he's an undrafted guy out of Penn State, as we mentioned last year, and people kind of forget the way Grant came on around the trade deadline. When they dealt Eli Apple, there was a reason, because they wanted Grant Haley on the field. You know, Grant Haley was cut on Labor Day weekend. You know, he didn't make this team out of training camp last year. So as impressive as he was, and I had him on my 53 going into Labor Day, and I, I was wrong, um, if you come around in this September and you decide that Grant Haley's not going to make this team because you think he can sneak him to the practice squad, I don't think that's happening this year. No so way. It's an interesting flip to what assets are. They have those draft assets and those other three guys, but certainly Grant Haley is one of those guys where they've put they've invested some in and I think he's a player that that needs to be kind of included in this mix the way you just said, John. There's one other young fellow on defense, all right, who really intrigues the living hell out of me and we're not gonna get a chance to really understand what he's about until they start to hit. I know where you're going. You know exactly where I'm going, the big guy in the middle. I mean, Lawrence, I, I, I can't say enough about how athletic and how quick he is and how svelte he looks. He does not look like he's 345 pounds. But, I, I mean, if, if, if he does anything like what he did at Clemson, boy, the Giants are going to be really, really happy, and they're going to have a hard time keeping him off the field, especially in early downs. Yeah, agreed. And I think, you know, when you go to the 17th overall pick, there was a lot of things that the Giants could have done in that spot. You know, they could have gotten a tackle for the future, an offensive tackle. Uh, you know, they could have gone in different number of ways for, uh, for what kind of talent they wanted to bring in. And they ended up going Dexter Lawrence, and right away people talk about, well, if he's only a two-down player and a run-stopper because of his size, well, then that's all he's going to be. He can't just be a two-down player for the Giants mm -hmm. and justify that pick. So I think there's a lot of intrigue into what he's doing. Um, and I think he, you talk about him at 17 overall and R.J. McIntosh, who I don't believe – we, we really got a true appreciation for how good he may be Agreed. being a fifth-round pick last year. Those two guys have both been at one of the defensive end spots uh, throughout the spring, at least from what we've seen in our OTAs, the media, you know, the media availability. Um, so I agree. I, I think Lawrence, if Lawrence can show that he can play up front with B.J. Hill and Dalvin Tomlinson, now all of a sudden the Giants have young players in that spot uh, and Tomlinson is a guy who is still viewed as a young player, even though he's going into his third year um, with, with new defense and everything else. I think you got to like those four guys, especially if Lawrence can prove that he's not just one of those guys that you have to stick at nose tackle and say, well, you know, he's the, this, the, the next version of Snacks. You know, I don't necessarily, as great as Snacks was, 
I don't necessarily you should pitch, I don't think you should pigeonhole Dexter Lawrence into that just yet. Uh, because I, I see him moving up and down the line a little bit. I, I just I hope to be able to judge that better in the preseason to see if he can well, hold that. Yeah, and Art, frankly, he's uh, been a, he's been a three four DN more than he's been a nose tackle. So I'm with you. I, very I, true. Yeah, I I don't think the snacks comparison is applicable. He looks like he moves better than snacks. Oh, he absolutely which does. Which is why he can do those other things. You mentioned McIntosh, Art. You know, I, I get a chance to, to to see him a lot uh, when he's doing other things uh, at the facility, and he has sculpted his body. Body much better than when he came here last year. He looked like a rookie because he had a lot of baby fat on him. Okay, he has he has really sculpted himself and cut himself out, and he looks stronger to me. And and if he can become somewhat of a, of a of a of a of a penetrator along that defensive line, you make a good point because he will then fight for snaps. Remember his last year at Miami, he had twelve and a half tackles for a loss. Now, he's not been a pass rusher in his career ever, even in college, but he did get behind the line of scrimmage to stop running backs. If he can slice through gaps or, for that matter, go around guys, that would be a big asset for the Giants. And, and I do like the fact, you know, look, we can debate all we want and, you know, certainly don't have enough time on today's show to, to talk about, you know, the positives and negatives of Dave Gettleman's reign as general manager. I mean, we could, you know, you could have shows about that and everyone could have their opinions. But the one thing you can't knock about Gettleman's track record is being able to find defensive tackles who can play in this league. Yeah. Look what he did in Carolina. You know, if you want to stack up everything he accomplished as his general manager in Carolina, Probably near the top, if not at the top, is what he was able to do at defensive tackle. So, if I know Dalvin Tomlinson wasn't his guy, but they've obviously identified Tomlinson as a the guy they want to build around. The other three guys, B.J. Hill, McIntosh, and Lawrence, if this becomes a Giants defensive line for the future in this defense, um, I think Gettleman hit a home run. You know, so I think that's kind of been overlooked as well. Uh, and again, it's like we said, Paul. We don't know yet. Let's put them on. Put them in the pads. Let's see when they're hitting another mm-hmm. team. Come August and September. But certainly, it, it, there's some promise there that these guys could really project to be a lot better and a lot more impactful than what they have been, at least on paper, to this point. Yeah, or the other guy that that's impressed me, and one thing I do watching all these OTAs, and like you said, I've been out there for all of them, is I track pressures, and I like to see who's in the backfield most. And the one guy, frankly, from the edge rusher position that's been in the backfield more than anyone else has been O'Shane Zimenez, the X-Man. And obviously, this is a huge caveat. There's no pads. There's very limited contact. And, you know, he's going against what's basically the Giants' third-string offensive tackles because Mike Remmers and Nate Solder aren't there. So with the second team, he's really going against the Giants' third-team offensive tackles. So I hesitate to take too much out of it. But it looks like, simply from an athletic standpoint, it's there. I want to see if the power part of it is there once the pads gets on and the offensive lineman can hit back, which gives them a much bigger advantage. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) The, the edge guys will be very interesting because I, I think we, we all believe that, you know, they're going to kind of hitch their wagon to Marcus Golden and Lorenzo Carter. And I think, you know, Carter is one of those guys who, if he takes a leap from year one to year two and puts it all together, he could be a guy who we're talking about. You know, when you mention the Giants don't have enough on the edge, I think Carter is that guy. Uh, I think Zimenez is certainly uh, worth that intrigue, like you mentioned. Um, you know, I want to see how this 
defense plays out because you also have Kareem Martin in this mix. And we know how much this coaching staff believes that Kareem Martin, you know, his ceiling is certainly not where Zimenez's ceiling is. But I also think his floor is probably a little bit higher than where they think. So that will be very interesting to see how much time they give the X-Men in September and October. Because I don't have a feel as to how this coaching staff will deal with a rookie who's ultimately raw at this point. You know, he's a pass rusher, so do you get him 10 snaps a game? Is he good enough on special teams to warrant a jersey on game day? Especially when you have a guy like Kareem Martin who's around and you want to say, you know what, we know what we're getting out of Kareem. So uh, that that to me will be very interesting to watch at the end of August and the beginning of September is where does Zimenez fit in? Uh, we know where, what he got as far as an asset, but let's not forget last year, Lorenzo Carter's snaps were really down early on in the year. Uh, and really throughout the entire season, it's not like they jacked up his reps all of a sudden. And you look at Lorenzo Carter at the end of the year and, and he was playing, you know, 80% of the snaps. So I'm interested to see how James Betcher and Pat Shermer handle uh, the young rusher uh, in that situation and see how much he can get. Uh, I know they'll probably say it's it's how much he can earn, uh, but uh, that, that's something that I think you, you, you hit the nail on the head, John. You watch what he does without pads on. You see him sprinting to the quarterback, and you say, man, he's got some pressure on him. Let's see what translates come September when it's time to actually trust him and put him on the field and say, let's go get it. Well, I personally think, all right, he's got to be counted on myself. I think because he is coming here as an edge rusher. See, Carter played every position when he was at Georgia, and that's the difference between him and and Zimenez. Zimenez comes here as an edge rusher. They can pretty much say to him, look, here's a package. You're going after the quarterback. That's what you do. Carter played so many different positions when, when he was in college that they were trying to figure out where to make him fit the best. And, and I think he had a much um, larger learning curve, if you will, than Zimenez, who simply is going to line up on the edge and get after the QB. I, 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 would, I would say that they need him to give them some impact as soon as possible. But I want to ask you about somebody else who's going to be an impactful player on this defense because you know him really, really well from his time here in North Jersey playing high school ball, Jabril Peppers. This kid has come here, Art, and I have to tell you, I didn't know him when he was in high school like you did. I know you covered a lot of his games and his whole recruiting process going to Michigan. I love his attitude. I love his energy. I love his enthusiasm. It, it's hard. It's very, very hard not to get excited about what he might bring to this defense, even though, obviously, he's going to be put in a spot where people are going to compare him to Landon Collins, who was a multiple-time Pro Bowl player. Yeah, and I think the difference is that between Landon and, and Peppers is that James Betcher gets Peppers at, at, at really at ground zero for his defense, and Landon goes from being a star in the previous defense, in the Spagnola defense, and then they had to kind of fit him into Betcher's defense last year. And I do think that that matters. I think Peppers is a little bit, you know, Peppers comes from a history of being a corner. You know, he was a corner and then moved up and played that jackknife spot at Michigan. But, you know, he's a coverage guy. You know, he wants to come up and hit. He wants to play linebacker and, and blitz. He's a good blitzer. But he could also cover. And I think that's the biggest difference with Landon is that, you know, 
you didn't say to land. You didn't want to put land in a position where he was going backwards. Mm-hmm. Not that he couldn't do it, but you, you wanted him to attack. I think they may use peppers in, in a bunch of different ways. Uh, but you know, like you said, Paul. I mean, look, this is a big deal for for Jabril Peppers. It's a big deal to come back to New Jersey. He was a star from the moment he stepped on the field at Don Bosco at 14. You know, he was a guy and a freshman. He won four state championships in high school. Uh, two at Bosco, two at Primus Catholic. I mean, he was a New Jersey legend. I mean, you talk about the last 10, 15 years in high school sports in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Jabril Peppers is in is one of those names that's going to come up for what he accomplished. Also in track and field, he was a tremendous sprinter, uh, winning gold medals. Uh, you know, up and down uh, the state. So I think Peppers is definitely an interesting thing. I mean, look, he comes with pressure, but he believes that he's ready for the pressure and. Um, I, you know, I'm excited to see him play uh, on a daily basis because in the snippets that I saw him in Cleveland last year, I think he was really coming into his own. And I do think it was difficult, a lot more difficult than people want to make it out to be. It was difficult for the Browns to give up Peppers in that deal for Odell uh, and Ovi. You know what's interesting, Art? You just mentioned about the, you know, handling the pressure. Look, you know because of how highly recruited he was. I mean, talk about decorated in high school. You've already gone through his accolades. When he went to Michigan, there was as much pressure on any athlete at the time when he took that jump to play at the big house. And he handled that fine. And then he gets through Michigan, and he's a number one pick in the NFL draft, and he handled that fine. I don't sense that there's any worry about his demeanor and his ability to handle the challenges of coming into this defense. At least that's how I see it. Yeah, you know, I, I don't think necessarily that it's it's on him. I, I think there look the pressure of of going in New Jersey. I mean, talk to Victor Cruz, what it was like to be a star in New mm-hmm. Jersey when you have everyone, you know, 15 miles away from where you played. <laughs> Not everybody wants a piece of of what you got. You know, I mean, when we know, and not drawing any parallels, we've seen it work for a guy like Victor Cruz. We've seen it not work for a guy like Will Hill, uh, who being in New Jersey mm-hmm. was not a good thing for him. No. Uh, but I'm not drawing any parallels to, to Peppers. Just the thought of idea of, look, coming home could really work. Coming home could be very hard for guys to come home. Uh, and I think, you know, look, Peppers is going to be in a situation. I mean, I, I put out a photo uh, when I ran a feature on him last year, uh, last week, Peppers, you know, he was a Heisman finalist. I mean, it was Deshaun Watson, Baker Mayfield, Lamar Jackson, Jabril Peppers, and then Dede Westbrook, who obviously is, you know, his career has not matched the other guys so far in the NFL, but he's still in the NFL. So Peppers is on that level mentality-wise. That's where he believes he belongs, and he, he thinks he's that kind of star in this NFL and I, I think the Giants are hoping that they reap the benefits. Yeah, and just one more thing on him real quick, Art, and, and then I'll move to the offense. People also have to remember that they used him in a hybrid role in Michigan, and his adjustment to the NFL, which is really the only reason he dropped, I think, what, 17th overall in, in, in the draft that year he went to Cleveland, was because he basically played linebacker at Michigan, and the coverage stuff was always going to come on late for him. So, you know, the third year for him is, is, is going to be a big one, especially when it comes to the coverage. Offensive-wise, Art, am I wrong? for the first time in seven, eight years to actually feel pretty confident about what I'm going to get out of the offensive line? <laughs> well, right now, you know, if you, if you want to take the medical reports as, 
you know, at face value and that Nate Solder will be fine, and I believe he will be off of the arthroscopic ankle surgery, and I think he'll be fine and ready to go in, in training camp. And, you know, Mike Remmers uh, was upbeat when he met with us last week. I mean, he was very upbeat, said, you know, all the right things, anxious to be here, eager, moving back to his natural position of right tackle. I think he's a good uh, one-year option um, and I don't mean to disrespect him in any way by just saying one year, but I think the Giants want to get younger across the front. Um, uh, look, I, I think you've got guys that you know you can count on. Zeitler at, at right guard should make a huge difference to the center and to the guy to the right of him. I mean, let's be honest. Uh, you know, Patrick Omame, as much as we want to talk about make, you know, what he was able to do well off the field and he fit in the locker room last year. It didn't work. Uh, He's not he, – Kevin Zeitler is, you know, a hundred times the player that Patrick Omame ever was. I mean, mm-hmm. He comes here with a resume. Omame comes here with – came here with a projection of what they thought he could be based on, um, you know, pro personnel scouting reports. I mean, that's essentially what happened. Um, and they were a lot more desperate last year. So I think Zeitler makes a difference in this offensive line so huge. And then you can't look – you can't look beyond what happened in the second half last year with Nate Solder and Will Hernandez and how they've come together and the trust factor there. The fact that Hernandez is not a rookie, you know, he joked with me last year, midway through the year, that, you know, Solder can finally stop carrying him, that he can carry his own weight now. <laughs> um, you know, and, and Solder, and, and I, I do believe, talking to people behind the scenes, that, um, you know, Nate Solder's game, not that it took a hit because he was helping out Hernandez so much, but playing against a rookie uh, at the level of competition that Hernandez played at at UTEP, uh, I think that certainly was different for Nate. Uh, and I think by the end of the year, those two on that left side truly became a, a unit. Uh, and I think they're hoping that Remmers and Zeitler can be that on the right side. And then you have the battle with Jalapio and Pulley at center. So absolutely long-winded answer to what you, what you said, John, is that on June 3rd, this offensive line is in, in about as good a shape as it can be um, going forward. We're not putting anyone up for the Pro Bowl yet. Nope. Um, you know, I don't think they need that to be a successful offensive unit. Uh, but, just be competent across the line. I mean, when did they become competent last year um, as a unit? Uh, maybe the Washington game in, in D.C. Other than that, when were they truly, one through five, a competent unit? And Saquon kind of mentioned that last week. It's all about, you know, running the game. Running the ball is, is, is art. He said it, running is art. And, and not me. <laughs> running it is a masterpiece. <laughs> the idea of how you have to have everybody together. Uh, and I think that's kind of what they have to be hopeful for about this offensive line is that these guys have all done it before uh, in certain aspects. And I think coming together, um, I think, look, they've got to go out and do it now. But there are no excuses in terms of resumes. All of these guys have done it in one, shape, one way, shape, or form. You know, the other part to that equation, Art, is that in years past when the Giants' offensive line had a lot of cracks and a lot of, a lot of broken parts to it, even the backup guys were basically spare parts from other teams who were journeymen and, and probably at the end of their rope and not going to really challenge or push anybody. The bottom line is, right now in this camp, even if you, you put down the five guys who you think are starters, okay, 
The loser at center is good enough to play guard in this league. Then you got guys like Evan Brown. You got guys like O'Hagan, who's a really good center prospect coming out of school. Uh, you got Wheeler, who I think, if he loses the Remmers battle, is a solid or decent number three tackle. All of a sudden, it's like, wait a minute. Even the depth on the offensive line is now young with some guys who actually might be decent, solid backups as opposed to just spare parts. And you and I both know you're not going to go through the entire season thinking that all five offensive linemen are going to stay healthy. That's just not going to happen. So it's, it's equally important that their backups are young and full of talent and potential uh, as it is to have five starters who you can put out there in week one. Yeah, I agree. And, and you didn't even um, you didn't even mention Big George over at Big right George? tackle. And eventually, yeah. eventually we'll all be able to pronounce his name and, and not forget. <laughs> and I kind of just call Sato him Big Ajay. George right now because I, I, I don't want to flip the hyphenated last name and say it the wrong way. Right. Um, but, you know, he's a guy who is really big. And, in, and to some extent, Paul Evans as well, the undrafted free agent Missouri, who's gotten yeah. time at tackle. I mean, if I'm if I'm Pat Shermer and I'm the coaching staff, I mean, I like what I have at the top five. Uh, yeah, obviously, this is the offensive line you want to go to war with, but you need to worry about now moving forward. It's Dave Gettleman's job to to not make this a yearly occurrence. You do not want to next year now. Okay, Mike Remmers isn't going to be your guy at right tackle because he's decided that you know he's going to do whatever. Um, you know he's he's put you know he'll be 30 next year and 31 when the season starts. You want to get younger. Okay, now you got to go back to the draft. Now you got to decide if you're going to take a tackle in the first round, and you got to do. You want to develop these guys. You need to develop, and and the the previous regime did not develop offensive linemen, and it's very difficult in today's game to develop offensive linemen. But to me, a priority needs to be finding that other tackle. Now, I agree with you about Chad Wheeler. I think Chad Wheeler uh, is the perfect swing tackle to have on this team. He's not a perfect player, but I do believe that if you have an, an instance where you need a start or two and you need to put Wheeler in there, I think Wheeler can do an an okay job, an adequate right. job. Yeah. Maybe even has a great game, and and, and you know he, he does well. So I I think that's the perfect role for him. Uh, but I gotta if I'm Pat Shermer and I'm Hal Hunter and I'm looking at it, I'm putting as much effort as I can into Big George and Paul Evans and saying you know what I gotta find someone here that that can be our future right tackle because you know you're gonna have Solder. I want you know so if I can get. Say if Big George becomes their right tackle next year, and now you go into the draft, and now you say, okay, we're just going to draft. We're going to draft for the best possible left tackle to replace Solder in a year. Now all of a sudden you got something cooking on your mm -hmm. offensive line with a lot of young guys. You have Hernandez still here, so I, I think that's kind of the way to go. Last one for me, Art, and I'll let Paul touch on the offensive skill position guys. Just real briefly, uh, your thoughts on what you've seen of Daniel Jones so far to me. Physically, he looks like an NFL quarterback. He can make all the throws. Obviously, all the stuff that changes when you get in game situations, you get in pressure, decision-making, accuracy under pressure. We'll see about all that when we get into game situations. But simply from physically being able to handle the position, I think he's shown me all I need to see to show that from that arm strength and you know moving around and that sort of stuff, he fits the part. I would agree. I think um, 
you know, you come out of the draft and you hear all the scouting reports and you thought this was going to be, be a guy who couldn't throw the ball 10 yards and, you know, he, he was off target all the time. And, you know, look, he, he, if you're judging based on what you see at OTAs, I've seen nothing from Daniel Jones to think, boy, this guy is no way going to be uh, a quarterback in this league, let alone a guy who's going to replace Eli Manning and become the quarterback of the New York Giants. Uh, I think he, he has better arm strength than I thought. One thing I wish I saw more of, and I think that's just based on the limited times we get to watch the OTAs, is more downfield stuff. Where mm. It just so happens, you know, Pat Sherman will say, look, I didn't do it. I didn't do it on purpose. But a lot of the, the two media sessions that we were there for OTAs was a lot of horizontal stuff. wasn't a lot of vertical stuff. You know, you may have seen a lot more of that, so you can be more confident in seeing yeah. him go vertical. Whereas I think sometimes we have to keep in mind what we're seeing uh, is based on a script and not necessarily, you know, hiding things that they don't want the media to see Daniel Jones throw the ball 35 yards. Um, so I like that. I do think that there is a more more of a comfort level that I see from him than any quarterback that was here the last two years. Uh, and even going back to Ben McAdoo, uh, Jones just looks comfortable coming out of the coming out from under center and rolling out left or right. He mm-hmm. just looks. We know how hard Eli Manning had to work to get to that point, that level of comfort. Uh, I think Daniel Jones just looks natural, and I, I, I like that in Pat Shermer's offense. So I could see why Jones is the guy that they picked, uh, not only because they believe in him, but they believe in he is the best fit for Pat Shermer and this offense and where the NFL is going. So I, I, I do like a lot of what I've seen from Daniel Jones. I'm not ready to, to sell, all of a sudden say he should be starting week one, which I'm sure we'll be getting that uh, at some point this week from someone out there. <laughs> of course! But, uh, I, I, I do like the way uh, I do like the way he's progressed so far in what I've seen. All right, I'll, I'll wrap up my my part of this by asking you about something that we have discussed with the fans. Now it seems as though for the last month and a half, and no one has come up with a concrete answer. Quite honestly, because there isn't one right now. But who who is the number three wide receiver, and who is the number three running back in week one? Uh, I still think that Corey Coleman has the edge at number three receiver, and I still think that Paul Perkins has the edge at being the number three back. But I don't think those spots are at all solidified. Uh, How curious are you to see who those guys turn out to be? Very, very curious. And I think uh, Perkins, you mentioned, obviously, um, I think it was a big statement for him and how he performed last year without being on the field and being in the facility because it's obvious that this regime would not have kept Paul Perkins around if he wasn't the exact type of professional that they wanted to see in this building. It would have been very easy for them to cut the the ties with Paul Perkins and send him away last year after he came to the team or for suffering an injury. Uh, away from the team. So that being said, I do like Perkins for that number three spot. It'll be interesting to see how he battles with Rod Smith, the veteran they bring in, and where Wayne Gallman fits. You know, I, I think if you listen and, and listen to what Pat Shermer said last year and a lot of what the team had said, that Gallman was a lot closer to 1B, which, uh, you know, obviously it's not taking anything away from Saquon, but I'm just saying <laughs> he's a lot closer to a guy who deserves to have 
reps in the game. You know, oh, this is this is a series for Wayne. You know, that kind of thing. So is he entrenched at number two, or can those other two guys push Gallman to the point where, you know, now they have to make decisions and say we we like a veteran, and now it's Perkins or Gallman. I, I don't know. Uh, but for the rec- receiver aspect, the one thing I think that hurts Corey Coleman uh, is the fact that if Jabril Peppers is your return guy, um, you, Corey Coleman doesn't play on special teams the way Corey, uh, Cody Latimer and Russell Shepard do. Yep, and that's true. those guys are core special teams guys, non-returning guys. You know, Latimer's a very good, a very good gunner. You know, Shepard's played in the middle of all your special teams guys. So, I think that's kind of that tough spot. I do think they like what Cody Latimer brought to the table last year in limited time. Obviously, he hurts his hamstring uh, on special teams covering a punt, uh, but I think they like Latimer. So I would say Latimer might be your number three. Well, Art, you don't uh, think just, Coleman's going to return kickoffs then? You, you don't think he's going to be part of specials at all? Well, Peppers might. That's you, think, you think Peppers will I, do both? I honestly, you know what? I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I, when we talked to Thomas McGahee, uh, when we talked to the, the coordinators, uh, I guess it was two weeks ago when we had our co- coordinator assistant coach day, um, you know, he he made it seem like Peppers was the guy, kickoffs and punts. Now, that may change. Um, and obviously that could be a way to, for Coleman to to lock his spot down. And they obviously like Coleman. You know, I made the comments about Paul Perkins. They obviously like Coleman because they not only brought him back, yeah. but they signed him to the contract above the, the RFA, you mm-hmm. know, to make sure that he was here. They didn't want to just let him go and, and say, you're out here, Corey. Uh, so it's interesting. It, it, a lot of it will come down to injuries, but I do, I do like Latimer in that spot as well. I mean, he did show last year that he could be a deep threat. I mean, there were times where – uh, I think there was a, a play that I obsessed over that I don't even remember if it was the preseason or the regular season where he had the defender beat on a deep on a deep route by about 10 yards. And uh, I had said that I felt as though Eli underthrew him, that he had to come back, that he would have hit the touchdown in the end zone. And I remember that play. That was Cody Latimer's speed. And then you look at the way he finished last year, Latimer, that big game he had against the Cowboys, mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think kind of convinced the Giants to to give him another shot here and to bring him back. So um, I, I think you need a vertical threat. So if it's if it's Latimer or if it's Coleman or if it's both, uh, I think you need that guy that's going to be able to stretch the field. Not that Shepard, uh, Sterling, or or Golden Tate can't, but I do think that those guys and Evan Ingram possess something that that this offense will end up needing. Uh, especially early on, if teams try to start playing differently and stacking the box against Saquon. Art, we appreciate it. We'll see you here tomorrow, and we'll get a few more practices in before we can all take a little bit of a break, which I know we're looking forward to, but Paul is dreading. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Art. Take it easy, Art. Appreciate it. That's Art Stapleton. Again, Big Blue Kickoff Live is presented by Coors Light. We'll take your calls and your tweets the rest of the way at 201-939-4513. Uh, let's go to our caller that's been waiting the longest. That's Bobby down in Florida who will lead us off. Bobby, what's going on? Hey, guys. Uh, Mark McLaurin, the safety out of Mississippi State, the undrafted free agent guy. Linebacker, Art I thought, right? Actually, Isn't he a linebacker? Well, or am I wrong about that? Well, yeah. Yeah, Art mentioned in, in his article today that they were playing him at linebacker. Yeah. And he was someone who played nickel in the box. He right. They used him in different ways. Are they using him on 11-11s in, in practice, or like how do they see him using him? Uh, he's been their third-string inside linebacker, if I'm not mistaken. He actually had an interception last week. 
He's an interesting physical specimen, I'll tell you that. Okay, yeah, because he's someone that intrigued me because, you know, Betcher likes to run that, like that run, rover, money back, or whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you're, he is smaller. You know, he's a guy that is probably sized more like a DB. He's 6'1", 212. He's out of Mississippi State. So he's small for a linebacker. But like you said, if he's filling that Dion Buchanan type of role, maybe that's where they maybe see him fitting. Yeah, and Tay Davis was someone who played, you know, three years of safety at University of Tennessee, Chattanooga. Um, can you see him being someone that actually, like, battles for, like, that 53-man roster, or is, or is he going to have to make his money on the practice squad? McLaurin start? or Davis? McLaurin. I, I would guess right now, given he's with the third team practice squad, but who knows? When we get to this, the, the summer, maybe he does big things in the game, but does big things in practice, things can change. Sure. All right, all right, guys, I appreciate you guys taking my call. Then. Hey, thanks for calling him, Bobby. We appreciate it. By the way, here is the uh, quote that Art referenced by McGay. See, I don't even look at this because usually everyone else is over there typing other stuff. Salmon's actually paying attention and giving me good he information. He always pays attention. Oh, no, he does a great job. If I have him down here every day, I could. Unfortunately, they have him busy doing other things. So he doesn't get credit for All right, uh, what do you like about Jabril <laughs> Peppers about your return guy? Uh, this is the quote from McGahey. High energy. The guy is a for-sure ball handler, can make all the cuts full speed. He just brings juice. I've known the kid since he was 16. I recruited him when I was at LSU. Jabril is a special athlete. He can do anything, run the football, catch the football, whatever. And then he got asked a question, will he have both kick return and punt return responsibilities? And he answered, yes, he's going to do everything. We will see. You know, he he is the starting um, strong safety. So if the Giants fully commit him to being on specials full time, you do want to want to kind of peel that back a tad, I would think. Yeah, you might if, take him off coverage units then. If he shows that, you know, it could deteriorate some of his other skills. Yeah, if he's going to be both primary return guys, I probably would not have him on both coverage units. You know, hey, I, I know this. I know receivers who in years past, even Dominic Hickson, who did both. Uh, he was a yeah. gunner, mm-hmm. plus he was a kickoff returner and a punt returner, and then he became a full-time starting wide receiver when Plexico yeah. got hurt. Remember, Latimer, too, did okay. kick return and was a gunner last year, too. Yeah, yeah. And, and and Hicks has had said to me many times, it does take something out of you in your standard snap set when you are full-time on special teams. It just it just takes some of your gas tank away. 201-939-4513. Ryan in Virginia is up next. Hey, Ryan. Hey, what's going on, gentlemen? How you Hi. Doing? We're good, Ryan. What's up? Not much, man. Hey, this has been a uh, first-time caller. I've uh, been a big fan of the uh, Big Blue since the days of Jim Flash on Terry Wow. Well, thanks for calling in, Ryan. What's up? Yeah, yeah. Um, just got two things uh, online, potentially three. Um, just want to get an update on – I'm real intrigued to see the battle um, between um, Sam, uh, Sam Bill and DeAndre Baker. I think with the the young defensive back core, I think we can have potentially something special. Obviously, it's going to take take a little bit of time with um, having three, three, four, maybe five new uh, stars in the, in the defensive backfield. And also, I'm real intrigued to see um, who's going to be that third down back um, outside of Saquon. Is it going to be Wayne Gallman? Is it going to be Paul Perkins? Um, I, I was a real big fan of Paul Perkins when we drafted him a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he has um, he does have that 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 breakaway type of game and speed. Uh, I remember one game against uh, Chicago, he kind of caught one out in the flat and made like a mean cut. And um, well, the Minnesota game in particular a couple of years ago was where he really made his splash play. No, Ryan, I'll be honest with you, I don't think 
there's going to be a third down back role because I think Saquon Barkley's your third down back. One of his best skills is as a wide receiver. Uh, I don't believe the Giants will take him off the field on third down. Now, there might be situations where they're giving Wayne Goldman a series as he, and he, therefore, is on the field on a third down. But if Barkley's in the game on first and second down, they're not taking him off the field on third down. He's way too big of a weapon as a receiver. Yeah, I'd agree with John on that, but I do think if you're going to give him an occasional uh, spot, uh, I could see Perkins being that guy if it happens to be in a third down situation. How about five wide? You know? I mean, and I don't well, back on the field. Here, here's the one thing about Perkins, okay? Perkins showed when he was at UCLA, he was best when there was space. Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And and here's the problem: when he got to the Giants a couple of years back, there was no as space. a rookie, there was not no space. Okay, he <laughs> still ran for 450 yards as a rookie and over four yards a carry. He still did that. Was he over four yards? A oh carry? yeah. Oh yeah. Go look it up. That I didn't remember. And 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 it's hard to believe because there was no space. Behind that offensive line. Yeah, 4.1, you're right. Okay, so, but but he's at his best when he is in space. So to me, I really believe now that the line is better, and if you could get him out into space, again, he's a reserve, and John's right, Barkley's going to get most of the snaps, but I could see there being situations where if you need he can do some things by getting the ball outside and, and working some, some magic with his feet. I think Paul Perkins has skills, and I'm not, I'm not backing off of that. And then uh, i got one more question. I, I can take this one um, off the air. I know everybody's sure. been Eli's this, Eli's that. But me personally, I think he's going to have a pretty solid season. I think he's at his best when he's able to uh, spread, the, spread the wealth around. And um, I, I don't know the numbers. I'd love to get a chance to take a look at them. Um, I think Eli's numbers are actually a little bit worse when he tries to force the ball to, um, like, the Odell Beckham Jr. not taking anything away from him. He's one of the most electrifying players in the league in general. But I um, just want to get you guys' feedback on, on that because I think with the, at the end of the year, especially not playing with OBJ, I think they had some of their best offensive performances, especially the last four games of the year. Well, there, there's something that kind of goes hand in hand with this. And if you'll bear with me just a second, I want to explain. Part of the reason a lot of times where the Giants had to force the ball to Beckham was because Beckham had a ridiculous amount of skill in terms of getting open quickly. Okay? Especially on that slant. And with Eli trying to get rid of the ball, what was it, 2.1 seconds, John? Is, yeah, that, is that two, what he was doing? Three, maybe. Was it two, three? Yeah, maybe. Okay, it was under two and a half. He basically had to do that because the line was so suspect that he had to get rid of the predominant number of his passes in under two and a half seconds. Well, given that factor, is it any wonder that he would force the ball to Beckham as much as possible because Beckham was the guy most likely to be open inside of two and a half seconds? Okay, so you see how this kind of kind of meshes nothing is ever on an island there's always an ancillary part to this and now what you saw during the second half of the season of which Beckham was there for a bit and then of course missed December is that the line was better and the line was holding up so now Eli could hold the ball a little bit longer which gave all the receivers a better chance to develop their routes and a better chance to get away which meant that Eli now in turn could pick out the most favorable target down the field. This all works hand in hand. This is why I keep telling people, John, 
The offensive line is the root of everything. Because if you've got an offensive line, every single thing spiderwebs off of a productive and solid offensive line. So, yes, Eli's going to have more time this year. He's going to be able to pick out more targets. He's going to be able to find the right target. They're going to be able to write, uh, run better routes. It's, it's all going to be good. Do you remember his first point that I was going to comment on? He had three points. His second point, oh, well, his second point was about the third down back then. He was thinking about the Beal and Baker. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, the Beal and Baker oh, matchup. Thank you. I appreciate it. And uh, thanks a lot for the call, man. And uh, thanks for being such a loyal listener and, and watcher. We appreciate it. I know you're able to take the answer off the air, so I'll give it to you off the air, Ryan. Um, I think it was pretty telling that Baker was starting to take some of Beal's spots as first-team corner late last week. I'm curious to see if that was a maintenance thing for Beal or if it's you know something that we don't know about because the coaches don't talk after non-media practice. So maybe it wasn't a performance thing that had Beal off the field. I don't know any of the answer to any of those questions. So I'm curious to see how much Baker's with the first teams at mandatory minicamp on Tuesday to see if that trend continues or if it was just a one-off thing that isn't really indicative of where the two guys are in the pecking order. I'm going to give you an educated guess. Because nobody comes in as the incumbent, I believe they want to give both guys a fair shot to work with the ones to see who can earn the spot. Yeah, you could be right. That's my educated guess. And good guess. 201-939-4513. Mike in Palm Springs is up next. Hey, Mike. Hey, how you doing, guys? Hi. Hey, uh, real quick, I was I, – I, I can't believe the stat I just heard that you guys related about Eli's average throw time, 2.3 seconds. I, that, oh my God! Well, you I know what? I, quick. No, yeah, I, I can get you the exact number. He ranked, I believe, somewhere in the around twentieth in the league in terms of average time to throw, something like that. What is it? But think about the, Think about two seconds. What are you doing in two seconds? What? What do you have time? And and the fact that he's scanning the field and dumping it to Odell, who you know in the slot, quick break and get open. But like that's an indictment of our offensive line that I. I knew we were bad, but like that—that's that's incredible. I can't make a decision on whether I want ice in my water or not in 2.3 seconds. And this yeah. guy, like, all right, all right, yeah. whatever. That's not my point. But that was fascinating. I was sitting here shaking my head like that can't be right. Well, I, I have but, it right here. Hold on one second. I can give it to you. What do you got, um, J- Eli Manning? Average time to pass attempt last year was. What do you got? I'm looking for him. I'm looking for him. Hold on. I'm looking for him on the list. He was at 2.47 seconds. Oh, okay. Time well, to attempt. .001 more. So, I mean, that <laughs> Well, it was under two and a half, which is what we said. Oh, oh my God. The, the only okay. quarterbacks that were regular starters, and I, I won't count the guys that were kind of, you know, quick players, that got rid of the balls quicker, were Tannehill at 2.46, Brady at 2.45, Luck at 2.44, Breeze at 2.43, um, Phillip Rivers at 2.42, Roethlisberger at 2.38. And obviously, if you, not surprisingly, all those guys are what? Veteran quarterbacks and know how to make quick decisions to get rid of the ball right. fast. Right, yep. exactly. And who but don't still, necessarily like, want to get pounded in the pocket either. And, and don't move that right. way a lot of them. <laughs> they right. can't afford, you can't afford to hold the ball. you got to yep. get rid of it. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, like, exactly. I, I'm, I'm also blown away at the speed of these D-linemen and the linebackers that can actually – get to him in that amount of time that these guys are phenomenal athletes but still mm-hmm. i mean i i can I, you figure you push or hold a guy by you another second but <laughs> it's crazy um 
my point for calling was I, I wanted to give you guys a call last week, but I didn't get a chance to. I listen to the podcast every day on my way to work. Um, I'm on the West Coast, so, yeah. you know, it's a little early to call in. But um, <clears throat> I just want to speak to this narrative recently of um, landing columns, right? And it's been a consistent narrative of, oh, how could Gettleman let him go? And um, we got to keep our talent. And, and I, I am all for paying talent, paying guys who uh, contribute, who are definitely uh, contributors to our team and our success, right? Now, just taking the whole narrative of the defense, we were pretty bad last year, right? But Landon Collins, to me, and I was a Landon Collins fan, still kind of am because he was a genuinely, seemed like a genuinely good dude, right? Mm -hmm. But he was looking for a really big contract. He wanted to get paid. I'm not opposed to that. What I am opposed to is giving people money based on a supremely down year. And he had a down year. And, yes, he didn't have a whole lot of support at the other safety spot. Uh, but my, my, I was talking to my brother, and I said, what, what play do you remember last year from Landon Collins that you were like, wow, thank God we have that guy. I mean, we're bad, but he's still topping. He's still, you know, showing something, making a big play, even in a, a lost game. Still made a big play. I can't remember one. The guys that you pay, though you tie up a lot of money, because that's what it boils down to. Who are you tying all your most money into that's preventing you from signing other talent, right? I cannot remember one play where Landon Collins popped. Where I was like, wow, that's amazing. Hey, look, and here's the yes. thing, Ryan. You're right, and this is why Paul and I, when we spoke about this at the Combine, before Gettleman did his press conference and the shows leading up to it, both of us thought the end result of all this was going to be him playing on a franchise tag because we thought he was probably going to ask for too much money for the Giants to come to a long-term contract with somebody who, as right. a safety, isn't a great coverage guy. So we thought it would end with a franchise tag thing. Right. Then we heard Gettleman talk at the, at, at the Combine, and we said, oh, boy, the Giants might not want to pay him on a franchise tag. So the Giants made the decision that, look, we understood it. We knew going in that based on what Landon would want, and we saw the contract that he signed, right, that doing a long-term deal was going to be tough. The Giants decided rather than have him on a one-year um, franchise tag deal, right, they'd rather get the draft pick now because yes. they figured they would never want to pay him on the big long-term deal that they would want. So they take the right. pick now, add that to the rebuild for next year, and you move on. And that's what they decided to do. And that's the smart play, right? It, well, Why are it you is. to tie up all this money in a guy who uh, fan favorite – Right? Everybody loved Landon Collins, had a Pro Bowl year. Yeah, he's a good player. Ago. He's a good player. Good player. Very good player. I'm not taking anything away from that man. But if he is a system player who needs a solid surrounding um, structure to have to make impact plays, you are not a top-dollar guy. Put it this way. If the Giants were closer to being a top contender who were yes. all, who, who, who could afford you took the word to right squeeze on him under the cap – I don't think there's any doubt he would have still been here. They would Absolutely, have found a way to keep Absolutely, him. Paul. Okay? But, but Absolutely. You know, the state of their renovation does not allow the luxury of retaining a player like Collins at the numbers he commands. We are in such, we, I don't know, but we were in such a hole as far as areas we needed to address immediately. Yeah. Right? You're balancing putting a, field, a team on the field who can support and maybe give us a shot at making the playoffs 
or possibly optimistically a Super Bowl, right? But we had so many glaring areas we needed to address. We could not afford to pay Landon Collins that kind of money if he's not going to play above and beyond his talent level. I think the problem becomes that. the problem becomes people have to understand that there are two separate issues. Thanks it's for the not, call, Mike. Appreciate it. It's not necessarily about how good is the player or is he a quality player. Sometimes it's about where is your team and where are they going and what do they have to get there. And sometimes it has nothing to do with the quality of that individual player. Right. It just doesn't. Yeah, because they were not gonna, he's not a guy that we're going to tag twice. The, the money gets too prohibitive. So if he wasn't going to be a difference maker this year, get the draft pick sooner rather than later and then move on. That's it. And again, we're not killing Landon Collins with a player. No, really good player. I, and I, I we like him the a heck lot. Out of him. I like him a lot. And right. he's probably the best, if not the best strong safety, one of the top two strong safeties in this league in the last 10 years. I'm not going to say anything bad right. about him. Coach Marvin in Delaware will wrap us up on Big Blue Kickoff Live, presented by Coors Light. Hi, Coach. How you doing, John, Paul? Doing What's well. going on? Hey, I haven't talked to you guys in a while. Um, real quick, the Landon Collins thing, you know, uh, I, I think who says what Landon's worth? The league says what Landon's worth. Correct. The, if one team says he's worth that, that's what he's worth. We just couldn't afford him. We moved on. To rebuild our team under the like John said, I mean uh, USA and Paul. I mean the money they didn't want to spend the oh, money. Coach, coach remember uh, one team might think a player is worth something, and another team might not believe he's worth that same number. So that can be different from team right. to team too, you know. Yes, right. That's definitely right. So to say, well, was he worth it? I mean, who are we to say if he's worth it or not? It just takes one team to do that to say what he's worth. Um, the other thing, the Paul Perkins. Is the is the we were talking about earlier? That's the person I'm kind of rooting for. Yeah, we're talking about the Minnesota game was a great run, the screenplay that Paul mm-hmm. was talking about, and that's what that broke him out. Um, but the big game that I love was I think it was the last game of the season against Washington at Washington. Yeah, I think we didn't have a hundred yard rusher until that game. He and Rashad and, Jennings had a great day that afternoon. Yeah. Yeah, he did, and and and, and Paul needs blocking. That, that the year he was having trouble, they they really wasn't blocking for him. Guys were at his feet before he can even get to the line of scrimmage. You give him some space, give him some lanes to run. He's a slasher, so you yes. give him some lanes to run through, and he gets to that secondary. Then we can see what he does. I, I'm actually pulling for him, not to take anything from Gallman. Gallman, we kind of thinning hit on uh, splitting hairs. But I'm, I'm kind of rooting for Paul to get that, that second spot. Uh, hopefully he could get it. I and think Goldman's a, a little bit more talented than Perkins between the tackles, even though he's not the biggest guy in the world. I do think he, he does run well in smaller spaces, and I think Perkins is probably better suited to outside the tackles. And that's why I think there's room for both of them on the team. Yeah, and, and I think our backfield room is, I mean, we're getting better, and every room is getting better. Um, I have to give it to Gettleman there. The offensive line room looks better. Um, the um, running back um, room looks better. Even the quarterback room looks better. Um, but the one I really love and I think we should really look at is that secondary. That room is unbelievably talented that we have these young guys. And uh, don't get me wrong, so I don't want anybody to say I'm out of my head going crazy here. 
But these young guys have, I think they have enough potential. I'm thinking, I think of the Ronnie Lott years when they came in. Those were all young defensive backs when Ronnie Lott and, and all those guys came in. Same thing with uh, uh, Seattle and their guys were all young guys when they came in. I think these, this young core we have, I think we need to give them a little more attention because these are some talented, talented young guys. Thank you, Coach. Uh, Okay, one more. I want to throw a shout-out to my um, a guy that listens to the uh, show. He's my trainer named uh, Vaughn Caraway. He played defensive back for Temple. Very nice guy. So I just cool. Quick. No problem, Coach. Thanks. Happy to help you out. Take it easy. Yeah. I want to hit a couple of tweets, Paul, before we say goodbye. Do it. Right? Do it. It's time for tweets. Let's Giants. All right, here we go. Clayton Harding, he disagrees with you that he does not believe Wheeler has proven enough to be a reliable swing tackle backup. He thinks they should add an older vet once someone might get released around September. Your thoughts on that? Well, I think that, that Chad Wheeler works very hard. He's got a good attitude, and that's usually what you want from your backups because those are the kinds of guys who you have to coach up and you have to try to, you know, squeeze more juice out of. He's still a young player. Uh, nah, I, you know, I, I don't have a problem with him being a three. Again, a three. You'd want it to upgrade it. You think you did with Remmers. He's a three. I feel good about it if he proves to the coaches he's a better player than he was last year. And I and I suspect that uh, the arrow's pointing in that direction. Well, I, I would hope so, but I there's just no we don't way know that for me to know that. So, hey, for sure. proof's in the pudding because they got some young tackles to compete with him. So yes. so he's going to have a chance to prove that he belongs. And then finally, AJ Marshall, third wide receiver, could have a breakout year, whether at Coleman or Latimer. Just want to throw out something real quick. I talked to my buddy out in Cleveland. He said Coleman in practice with the Browns looked great. His drop issues never showed up until game day, and that's when he had issues with drops in Cleveland. So I'm curious to see mm. once he gets some preseason games whether those drop issues show up. Because we haven't seen much of that in the practice field. He's been pretty short-handed, yes. at least recently. But I, and I specifically asked my buddy out in Cleveland about that, and he said, yeah, in practice, he would get hurt in practice, but he didn't drop many uh -huh. balls in practice. He actually broke his hand a couple times when he had those broken hands in practice for the Browns. But he, his drop issues showed up when he got in the game situation. See, so, Slayton's had more dropsies in practice than any of the receivers yeah, so he, far. I'll tell you what, Slayton gets open, though, man. He does. He gets open. Incredibly fast incredibly fast. He gets open now. So, but he can clean he's, that other stuff up. He's going to he's that's a that's another guy in that wide receiver room who we're going to have to keep an eye on during the preseason because if he's productive and he yeah. holds on to the ball, boy, it's going to be hard to keep him off the roster. Remember sub 44 437. That's sick. That's sick. That's pretty darn good. Paulie, good stuff. All right, John. For Paul Dottino, I'm John Schmelk. For our buddy Dan Salmo and working the board, I'm John Schmelk. Again, a reminder, Big Blue Kickoff Live will take place during mandatory minicamp as usual, but not at the same time. So make sure you tune in at 1.30 every day, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, as we give you coverage of minicamp. That'll be after both practice and media availability, so we'll have all the latest news for you right here on Giants.com on Big Blue Kickoff Live, presented by Coors Light. Again, 1.30. Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday this week. Make sure you tune in, and we're back to our regular time at 12 noon on Friday. For Paul Dottino, I'm John Schmelk. Adios. You're tuned in to listen to Big Blue Kickoff live on Giants.com.